Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practice regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective, then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. Hi everyone. Welcome to this third episode of Not the Farmer's Wife. I'm CJ Steedman. I want to talk this week about motherhood and farming. But before we dive into that, I just want to let everybody know that uh, course registration for our very first course, which is Backyard Chicken Keeping, opens on the 9th of April. Um, and to get on the wait list for that, you need to go to www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows and you'll get a little freebie about keeping backyard chickens when you sign up at that location. Um, and then hopefully 9th of April, I will see you. I'll be running some, hopefully some webinars in the lead up to that. Uh, and a week after registration opens, the course will actually start and we'll start getting some new chicken mamas and daddas out there. Mostly mamas, I'm going to guess. Um, but we'll try and get people out there having a lot more backyard chicken experiences, which is what we're aiming for. So motherhood and farming. Now, big disclaimer here, I was in a very, very lucky situation. I did not, was not pregnant. I was not <coughs> farming with small children. Um, I was very lucky to come into my farming situation when my children were uh, six and eight, I believe. I'm trying to remember, seven and five, around that. Uh, when we first moved to the small farm. Now, the small farm was out of gunning. And, um, and before I get too into it, I should also say that there's a really good chance I'm going to swear when I'm talking about motherhood and farming. I'm a bit of a potty mouth normally, and these first couple of episodes I've managed to uh, stop myself from saying what I would sometimes say. But in this topic, I think it's probably valid. <laughs> Dropping a few F-bombs. Motherhood and farming is fucking hard. That's the only way to say it. But like I said, I didn't have to do it with a small baby in a sling on my back. I didn't have to do it pregnant. I can't imagine and take my hat off to the immense ladies out there who are able to go out and farm six months pregnant with a toddler in tow and it would just be just about the hardest thing you would ever have to do, I think. But they do it. Women do do it. And women have always done things like that because we're very capable. We're very honest with what our limitations are. But we're also very capable of doing things. And pregnancy is not an illness. For some women, it's close to an illness. But for most of us, it's just a state of being. It's not that we're sick. It's not that we're incapable. It's just that there's usually a big round belly in front of us that kind of stops us doing a lot of the physical stuff. Um, 
And certainly when I was pregnant, I couldn't imagine if I'd had to lug a bale of hay. I couldn't even get into my car without lifting the steering wheel up towards the end of both my pregnancies. Um, I think everybody thought I was having triplets. Uh, so some women are out there farming, pregnant, with toddler in tow, probably operating on less than four hours sleep, and they're getting it done. And they're getting it done amazingly. They may not feel like it at the time, but they absolutely are getting it done amazingly. So what, what is, how is farming different to normal motherhood? Well, it's just the added bonus, benefit, whichever way you want to look at it, of having a whole bunch more mouths to feed and a whole bunch more people or things reliant on you. Uh, four hours sleep with a toddler who's been up half the night or a young infant and the chooks still need feeding. The goats still need milking. The cows still need checking. Um, Everything else still needs feeding and making sure it's in its paddock and where it's supposed to be. And then you've got the veggie garden. So you've still got to go and do all that. And there ain't anybody else to do it for you. So how do mums do it? They just get on and get it done. When we moved out to, uh, to Gunning, which was our small farm, two and a half acres, I was still working shift work. So I was working a 24-7 rotating shift at that point. And I had two children, seven and five, at the first when we first got there. Uh, the handy helper was there, so that was good that I could rely on him. But he doesn't have a background in farming. So it was a huge learning curve <laughs> for him when I would direct him to do something when I was either asleep or not there. And he would have to go out and have a crack at it. So for me... It meant operating on minimal sleep. Um, it meant trying to sleep well. You've got chickens clucking and roosters crowing and dogs barking and goats bleating and you're inside trying to get you know, five, maybe six hours sleep if you're really lucky uh, before you get up, cook dinner, get all the housework done, go out to all the animals and then leave to go to work again. It was, it was insane. When I look back now, I think I was either completely fucked in the head or uh, just so delusional about what I was capable of doing. But I got it all done. There's no way of saying I didn't get it done. We did get it done. And not only that, I got peaches pulled off trees and canned and I got jam made out of the plums because we had a million plum trees on that one. Uh, I managed to get potatoes harvested and dried and set up into a nice little area where we used to keep them on the side of the veranda. Same with the onions. I even, I even managed to make the onions look really nice and plait them and have them, you know, all hung up in the kitchen looking like, you know, a real country kitchen. But having kids around that age, I felt, was probably the most beneficial time to have them kind of on the farm and learning and the reason I say that is because farming is hard it's it's hard on your heart um, I know there's a lot of people out there and I make no apologies for the fact that people who disapprove of livestock farming um, are no fans of mine and if you're listening and you're vegan I'm sorry I'm not and I do produce animals that I eat that are meat that go into our freezer 
and that'll always be the case. I, I, will, I am very staunch in my belief that uh, animals for livestock are there for human consumption. And my children have been brought up like that. I was brought up like that. Um, I don't make any apologies for that. If you don't feel that way, that's fine. I'm probably not the person you want to be listening to. But we raise animals for meat. And even though a lot of people who are opposed to animals being raised for human consumption uh, would argue and say that farmers don't love their animals, that's just simply not true. My goal with livestock producing, and inherently it comes from being a mum, is to give all the livestock that I raise on my farm the best possible life that they can have up until the point that they become dinner. Um, some people don't like that aspect of it, but the reality is if you eat chicken nuggets from KFC or a hamburger from McDonald's, you're consuming meat. Uh, I would much rather not have factory farmed meat. And when I say factory farmed, that'll be a discussion for a later episode. But my animals are raised free range. They have an awesome life. They live out in the paddock doing what goats do, what chickens do, what cows do. That's how they live up until the point that they become human consumption. And then from that point on, we thank them very much for their gift of, of food to us and we consume them. Now, my kids grew up in suburbia. I'm just going to have a little slip of my coffee. I'm sorry if there's a slurp. So they grew up in suburbia. And because they grew up in suburbia, they weren't exposed straight away to um, animals being prepped for, for human consumption. So as a mum, I had to work out what was the best way to manage that conversation and manage the knowledge of we're raising animals that we are going to eat and they're going to be on our dinner table. And I've always been very upfront with my children. Um, I My background in policing, uh, I worked in the child abuse team. And because of that, I have always raised my children that we call everything as we see it. We call it by its rightful name. We don't have slang terms for things. We don't pretty up subjects that, that are subjects that are pretty serious subjects in my mind. And certainly preparing food for the dinner table is something that I believe my children need to know exactly what's happening. Now, some people would disagree with me on that. That's fine. Everybody's entitled to raise their children the way that they want to. But I have felt like because we started that process when they were quite young, that my children also have no illusions about where their food comes from. Uh, and they're actually very comfortable in the knowledge that livestock, farm livestock animals go towards human consumption. Um, when we just very recently processed our first meat chickens um, and we processed about 17 birds, both of my children played a very active role in that process. Um, we called it the disassembly line. <laughs> um, and not to joke about the process, we thank our birds, each and every bird, before we dispatch it. However, 
and I should say we're not religious people. However, I do have a very strong attachment to Mother Nature and I believe that it's um, certainly an ethical process to thank anything before it feeds us. Um, and I'm not thanking a god as such, but rather thanking the actual animal that's producing the meat that's going to us. So both my children participated in the disassembly line and while my daughter, um, after watching an animal get dispatched, um, she said, well, that's, I don't think that's really for me. But certainly the preparation of you know, plucking and dissecting and gutting the animal, she had no problem at all in processing that side of things. And she said that she's more than willing to help when we do those processes. My son... Um, he has some uh, very strong opinions about meat production and he actually wants to be a butcher when he grows up. He's only 11 at the moment and he's already decided he wants to be a butcher and he wants to raise his own meat and he wants to do paddock to plate at his own butchery. And so he can tell people that these animals have lived a fantastic life before they've landed on the plate. And it, it absolutely warms my heart that he gets it, that he, at 11, understands that having an animal uh, that we've raised and cared for and we know its background and we know that it's been looked after and it's had this awesome life, you know, before it, it became human consumption, he, he really gets it and he has taken it on board. And I, I hope that he keeps that thought going uh, but as he gets older obviously as an adult he'll change his opinions on things and he'll um, develop his own beliefs uh, but it does make me feel pretty good as a mum to know that he's at least listened to what I've said and and he understands it um, so he he was quite um, happy to um, involve himself in the disassembly line and he also asked if next time, instead of the handy helper doing the dispatch, if he could have a go at dispatching. Um, I'm not sure that I'll let him at 11. Um, maybe, you know, after he's done a few more dispatches, like watch the process, then then maybe, you know, as he gets closer to 12, we might consider allowing him to, to do a dispatch. Uh, but I want to make sure that he's got it right in his head before he does it. So, so... As far as motherhood and farming goes with that side of things, um, I honestly believe the best policy is honesty and letting your kids see the entire life cycle. It's hard. It's fucking hard some days. Um, we had a milking goat um, uh, late last year who kitted two beautiful does um, and two days after she kitted, we had her in. We keep all our goats in for at least a week when they um, kid so that we can keep an eye on them, make sure that mum's feeding okay, make sure there's no problems with the, with the bubs, with the kids. And two days after she kitted, she uh, developed a very stiff udder and one of her teats became very inflamed. And I pretty much instantly recognised it as mastitis. Um, as a mum, I'd actually suffered multiple bouts of mastitis myself, um, so I know how painful it can be. <clears throat> so I managed to get off to the vet and get some antibiotic injections and get some antibiotic cream that is injected into the teat. 
um, and a week later the udder formed a massive hard lump and we weren't able to fix it with antibiotics. Now at that point the animal had been sick for some time and the kids had been watching me go out morning and night and give her injections and Alice was a, a doe that we had raised here on the farm so we'd raised her from a kid, we'd delivered her. So it was heartbreaking for me to have to make the decision but it was a decision that needed to be made that I needed to speak to the vet about having her put to sleep. Now, with our animals on the farm, even though we are a farm that dispatches animals that we use for meat, if an animal's sick, obviously we're not going to dispatch that animal for, for meat purposes um, because the illness that the animal has might affect them, the meat and the quality of the meat. Uh, also, it would have been very hard for me given that she was one of my milkers and hand-raised and certainly our boy goats who are dissexed at an early age and kept in the paddock with names that generally reflect what the life choices for that animal are going to be. Um, so Chop, uh, we've got a sheep in the paddock at the moment that we call Cutlet. <laughs> um, having a milking goat that I'd always dreamed would grow up to be one of my good milkers and go on to produce many, many kids, uh, we weren't going to eat her. Even if it hadn't been mastitis, it would be unlikely that we would have eaten her. Um, so we had to make the decision to have her put to sleep. And so um, both kids were upset about it. However, I am a very strong believer in involving kids in that process. Now, they both chose, I gave them the option and they both chose not to come to the vets with me um, to see her put to sleep. Um, and instead elected to just say goodbye to her before we buried her. Um, and we have a burial plot that we use for animals that have been dispatched um, due to illness. Um, and they get buried in an area that we then use as a, um, we'll plant fruit trees over them. So at the moment, Alice is, has a apple tree growing above her that's going to hopefully go on to produce lots of yummy apples for us. And we re jokingly refer to it as Alice apple tree. Um, but yeah, last year, so she had to be put down and I had to go through that process with the kids that this was the best thing for her, even though she was a, a very dear pet and she was going to, the intention was going to be one of our good milking does. Um, it, it wasn't fair to continue to try and fix her mastitis when it was quite clear that the mastitis had taken the entire udder and that there was very little that we would be able to do to make this go well again. Um, like I say, the kids were upset, but the kids also, I think as time has gone on and we've had, I think now uh, over a period we might have lost five or six goats over the last four years, um, which feels like an extraordinary large number to me. It shouldn't have been that many. However, we had an issue with... Um, death cap mushrooms, uh, which I didn't know, but they can affect uh, goats. And we actually lost three to death cap mushrooms. So out of that six goats, three of them were all in the one space of time and they were all for the same reasons, which we've now resolved that issue. Um, but I believe that the kids over the, the course of the six goats um, that we have lost have become more 
adapted to the life cycle and um, the unusual thing with both kids when they both children my kids not the her kids um, both kids when when we did have to have her put to sleep their response straight away was well isn't it nice that we've got two does from her and those does will go on to have babies and they'll be Alice's legacy to us so they straight away picked up on the whole life cycle that well we'd lost Alice we hadn't lost everything of her and we had um, her daughters to carry on her bloodline um, and it, it kind of made me feel good that that they were getting to a point where they understand um, other animals don't seem to affect them as much I don't think kids get as affected by chickens um, certainly in the beginning they did uh, early days on the small farm we had a dog attack a, a domestic dog came into our yard um, and attacked two of our chickens or three of our chickens in total uh, but caught red-handed with one so we found out which dog it was um, but the one of the chickens that the dog had killed was um, a chicken that we'd hatched ourselves it was our first batch of chickens that we ever had on the small farm and they were aracanas so they're the um, bird that lays a, a blue egg it's only blue on the outside folks don't worry it is definitely no different to any other egg on the inside it is just a light tinged blue shell on the outside and my daughter had actually named the chicken after one of her best friends <laughs> so the chicken was hand reared and very much a pet and had been laying strongly for us and producing lovely blue eggs and then the dog from two doors down came up and got into the yard and killed three chickens in one go uh, which was pretty disappointing that was probably our first um, death other than a natural death on the farm for the kids to have to deal with and they weren't too happy about the dog let me tell you they love dogs um, we have to uh, but at that point we had no dogs and they were really unhappy about the fact that a dog could come in and kill it one of their chickens um, and that started our process of the burying animals under fruit trees I think that chook got buried under a fruit tree as well um, but the kids were super super sad at that point and as a mum it's really hard to kind of reconcile am I doing the right thing especially when we'd come from an urban uh, background with the kids to then um, have to explain to them that life cycle and the fact that animals do die and that sometimes those animals are considered pets even though they're farm animals we still get attached to them so I asked a lot of questions of myself as to whether I was doing the right things and whether I was making the right choices for my children based on what I wanted to do so the fact that I wanted to farm was I then inflicting on them extra hardship that that shouldn't have been inflicted on them and after a lot of questioning and a lot of talking to the kids I came to the conclusion that no it wasn't harmful to the kids I was probably setting them up to be way more resilient through their life than if I hid the whole life cycle thing from them um, and I believe that my kids are both very resilient at this point in time um, they certainly cope I think cope a lot better with changes and uh, 
things not necessarily going their way, they seem to cope and, and say, oh, well, you know, we have a bit of a joke in the family that we say, but did you die? Because let's face it, if you didn't die, anything else can be fixed. You know, we, we can fix just about anything. Um, so the kids, the kids have been through that hardship of farming, that life cycle of things dying, things being born. They've, they've been lucky in the being born section. They've, they've been able to deliver baby goats. Um, and watch chicken eggs hatch, you know, like actually sit there for the half an hour to an hour that it takes and watch a chicken egg hatch um, and being able to go to school and say to their friends, we actually sat there and watched a chicken hatch. I, I think they were the favourite kids in the school for a week, um, especially when they then brought in photos of baby chickens. Uh, but they've, they've hand-delivered um, baby goats um, my son in particular is very attuned to um, the whole process of, of goats birthing. Um, he doesn't mind getting his hands dirty. <laughs> my daughter's a bit better at getting her hands dirty now. I think the first time she looked at me and went, Mum, what is this stuff all over my hands? After she caught the first baby goat coming out. Uh, and I just said to her, don't worry, darling, we just wash our hands afterwards. It's all good. Um, but both kids have been really lucky in that sense. Um, they also are very lucky in that we now have a Merima dog after our dog attack on our chickens. We invested in a Merima pup, uh, Luna, Luna the Lunacorn we call her because she's a bit crazy. Um, and Luna is just an amazing dog. Merimas have this insane natural instinct to protect everything that comes near them. So she is mother to potty calves she's she loves the goat kids she thinks the goat kids are hers she actually tries to suckle them and I have to explain to her that they're different species and then, a she doesn't have puppies and she doesn't have any milk in her teats b they're a completely different species they're not going to suckle on your titties um she also um, is super, super protective of all of our chickens. The chickens can climb all over her and Luna will just sit still and just lap up the attention. She absolutely loves them. Uh, but Luna, with, with the human children, is amazing. She, I have no fear. I could leave my children here on the farm with Luna in charge in the house block and I have absolutely no fear that Luna would protect my two children with her life. Uh, and I would never let her get to that point. But to know that she would do that, in her mind, those two human kids are part of her herd. They're part of her flock. And as far as she's concerned, she will protect them with everything she has. Um, and my kids know it. They love Luna. They are all over her she is so tolerant of them going out there they try and throw tennis balls to her and anybody that's ever had a merima or seen a merima would know that merimas don't do normal dog things <laughs> merimas you'll throw a tennis ball to them and they sit there and look at you and look at the tennis ball and say what the fuck do you want me to do with that like i don't have energy or time to go chasing balls for you i'm looking after your chickens and your goats um we also have a Kelpie now, a little Kelpie, Roxy, um, who's just over a year old. She's gorgeous. Uh, and she's become the tennis <laughs> tennis ball catching dog that the kids always wanted and didn't get with the Merrimer. Um, but I think now, in hindsight, four years in to farming, I can honestly say that I've watched my kids 
pick their own fruit and vegetables. Um, I've seen them uh, go and collect eggs first thing in the morning, go out and take the little basket out and collect eggs out of the hen house. Um, I've seen them have a go at milking a goat. <laughs> Neither of them are particularly good at it. Uh, it always gets left to me. Um, but they, they've all had a go at milking goats. They've delivered kids. They fed potty calves. Um, they've also had to identify snakes and learn how to move away from them. Uh, both my children are amateur beekeepers, so they because I have the beehives, uh, both my kids have suited up, put the beehive suit on and come out and helped me collect hives and help me uh, take frames out when it's time to extract honey and check our hives to make sure our queens are laying eggs. They can both identify a fully capped frame of honey and they can identify um, larva in in the eggs like the eggs that the the queens lay they can identify them in a frame of, of honeycomb drawn out honeycomb um, I look at my kids now and, and despite having the doubts about whether or not I've done the right thing inflicting my lifestyle on them I look at them now and think they are so resilient and they're so capable of feeding themselves and caring for themselves but also they are absolutely 100% able to care for others um, and others that can't care for themselves. They know that animals need feeding and animals need clean water and animals need secure fencing. Um, they, they know exactly what needs to be done. So I have no doubt at all that having the kids on the farm, I've made the right decision, but I get that some mums would be a bit nervous about it and if, if I can get anything across to any mums that are hesitant about taking their children into a rural environment, any of the uh, cons, any of the downsides to living rural with children are 100,000 times outweighed by the upsides, by the benefits of allowing children to live in a rural environment and have livestock and have veggie gardens and have fruit trees and understand where things come from and that work needs to be done and that chores are to be done. Uh, it, it honestly, I can't, I can't speak highly enough for the change in my children. I think both of my children have grown so um, intelligent over the last couple of years from just having to deal with life and not being sheltered from life. So if you're hesitant about the idea of taking children into a rural environment, don't be. If you're hesitant about, oh, what if we get backyard chickens and, and the chicken dies? How am I going to explain that to the children? You'll find a way. As a mum, you will. We always do. But knowing that you're teaching them the life cycle um, and that you're teaching them the life cycle hopefully from an early age where it's um, more readily accepted. I really I really think kids at a younger age accept a lot more than what we realise. And, and, you know, I'm a Gen Xer. <laughs> Anybody that's a Gen Xer out there <laughs> would know. We, you know, the big joke about Gen Xers is that we raised ourselves um, because our parents pretty much let us run wild to a degree because they were busy working and having a life. Um, 
I, I'm not like that with my kids. I do have some kind of control over what they're doing and where they are. However, I also want them to grow up with some part of that Gen X capability, you know, and being able to manage things themselves. They, my kids have to catch the bus. The bus stop is 10 k's from our front door. And I, if I'm going to work, I drop them at the bus on my way into work. I don't drive them to school just because I'm going into into town. It would be going out of my way to go and drop them at school. So they get dropped at a bus. They have to catch two buses. So they catch one bus that's about a 20-minute ride into a bus interchange that is a school bus interchange. And then they swap over and get onto another bus. And that bus, and they're on separate buses now because my daughter's in high school and my son's still in primary school. And so they get onto separate buses and those buses take them to their school. Now, they both have mobile phones, which, you know, I never had a mobile phone when I was catching the bus to school. Um, but if there's any dramas, and there have been dramas, you know, buses haven't picked up, buses have run late. Um, just the other day, my daughter was waiting at the bus interchange to come home in the afternoon and a tree branch fell into a bus window. Uh, which caused a delay for all the buses because everybody was trying to help out that bus driver and, and help the people off that bus. So, you know, they've got the mobile phones. They message me and let me know the bus is running late, Mum, so I don't panic and don't worry about where they are. But at 13 and 11, they are more than capable of getting themselves from point A to point B. Uh, my daughter takes herself to sport two times a week because she plays rugby union. Um and my son is at the point where he's ready to start doing that with his tennis. Uh, they, they cope. Kids cope. I think we, we assume that they're not going to, but they absolutely do cope. Anyway, I've got to get going, so I'll wind up. But just a reminder to everybody not to forget that our, uh, our new course is opening next month. I'm very excited about that. April 2023 is our first course. Uh, keeping backyard chickens and I'm hoping to have lots of people jump on and, and join with that because the idea of having more chicken mamas out there I just love that idea it's all I want is everybody to have chickens chickens for you chickens for you chickens for me chickens for everyone uh, and also too because I know that everybody who's got kids would benefit from having chickens in the backyard and having the kids look after the chickens it's not such a hard task and they can certainly do it so don't forget about our course. Um, also, I wanted to let you know that I have my print-on-demand store up and running, uh, which sells funny farming T-shirts and jumpers and hoodies and mugs and things like that. And you can find that at www.notthefarmerswife, or one word lowercase, .com is the uh, Shopify page for that one. And you can go on and have a look. All of our products, well, not all of them. We try to get all of them made in Australia. Unfortunately, there aren't that many print-on-demand sources in Australia, uh, but the vast majority of our products are made in Australia um, so that we're keeping local businesses employed, which is the whole idea, you know, buy local, keep the local businesses going, especially small businesses. They need our support right now with the way interest rates are going. Um, and next week, I am absolutely hoping and can't wait to bring to you a little interview with my kids so you've heard my side of what motherhood and farming is like. So next week I want to interview my two children and they can tell you in their own words what their side of farming is like for them. And they'll tell you what 
bits they don't like, believe me. They'll also tell you the bits that they absolutely love. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to you hearing that. Anyway, that's all I've got for this week. And thank you again for listening. And I can't wait to chat to you again next week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. If you did, I'd be so grateful if you left me a review. I would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in your next post on your favourite socials at either Not The Farmer's Wife or Mojo Homestead. And don't forget to get your free guide to backyard chicken keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows. And remember, grow the life you want to live. See ya.